Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I am your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a pioneer in conversational dynamics and a highly regarded fractional chief learning officer. He is revolutionizing sales through his adaptive conversational blueprint, turning sales professionals into relational architects capable of forging profound connections with prospects. An integral to his approach is the 210 rule, which challenges traditional perspectives on conversation, emphasize the importance of rhythm and cadence. With a rich background spanning 30 years, he has shared his expertise in training and development across six countries, impacting over 10,000 individuals. A master mason and father of four, he seamlessly blends practical experience and insightful wisdom in his pursuit of the perfect conversation. So let's welcome Jake Stahl. How are you doing today, Jake? I'm good, Victor. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. And um, I'd like to start by asking you to please share your story, Jake. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? I had worked in corporate America for a long time, uh, several different companies, uh, several different locations in the U.S. And about 10 years ago, I was separated from a company and decided that uh, I still needed to go back into corporate America to make a paycheck. But I started branching out on my own and taking side gigs. And that evolved into what it is today, which is uh, being able to call my own hours, which are a lot, and make my own decisions, which are tough, and uh, a lot of soul searching. But it, it was a long journey spanning 30 years to get where I am today. Got it. So basically, you were corporate America for many years, and then about 10 years ago, you were getting sick of it, and you went through a number of different companies, and uh, basically, you still needed to be there because obviously you need a paycheck, pay your bills and stuff like that. But you said, I really don't like this. I guess you didn't like the the lack of freedom, lack of, you know, you know, not being your own boss and just, you know, just a lot of things you just couldn't do because of the corporate America. And you started doing sidekicks, uh, which a lot of people do and which I think is one of the smart ways to do it. Sometimes I think people just quit and just try to do their own get, And then they realize it's not easy making money in the beginning. So they don't have that income coming. So I think the way you did it is, is probably one of the best ways to do it. Do, do it on the side, make some money until you're able to make enough to cover the income from your regular job. And how long were you doing the side gigs before you were able to fully leave corporate America? Uh, I would say probably five or six years. And, you know, it's, to Victor, to think about, it's not even just the money. It's building a network. It's mm -hmm. trying to get a reputation. I had a reputation from being in training development for a while, but uh, not a reputation as an entrepreneur. So when you go out on your own, that network is so, so important. And it doesn't happen overnight. No, and I totally agree with you on that because, you know, I, like you, I was in corporate America for a lot of years and I could definitely see, you know, I had a pretty good network when I was in corporate America. But when I became an entrepreneur, it was also totally different, like you said. Um, I didn't have those relationships with people in the entrepreneur uh, uh, zone. Very few, very few people know me. They, I didn't have that reputation there. So it's like I was starting from square one again, which I'm sure you felt at the beginning too, because you're like, 
who is this guy, you know, with the entrepreneur. So it takes some time. It takes, which is another reason why you should not just quit your job because you don't have that reputation. Right. You don't have that credibility like you do in your regular job. And it takes time. Like, you know, it took you about five, six years before you're able to fully leave the job for the reasons you mentioned. So um, I think some people need to, and also I think sometimes people have a, this false sense, like, oh, I'm just going to be my own boss and merely, you know, they're going to make, tens of thousands, hundreds of millions of dollars all the way. It doesn't work that way. It takes some time for the reason you mentioned. No one knows you. You don't have the reputation. So it sometimes could be months before you see a, any kind of paycheck, right? Yeah, not only that, but it's it, you definitely don't lose the headaches. As a matter of fact, they're probably magnified. You know, there were many nights I sat in the hallway in the, of my house in the middle of the night so my wife could sleep. Or I just sat there and thought, man, was this even the right thing to do? So, you know, there's benefits to being in corporate America without a doubt. And there's benefits to being on your own. But one benefit of being on your own is not shorter hours. It's not uh, easy decisions. It's It's having the tenacity to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not everyone has that tenacity to stick with it because a lot of times people struggle and after a while they go up, they say, you know, it's not worth it. And a lot of times they go back to the old job. And and I think in many cases, it seems like some people give up right before they're about to hit that success. If they just persevere just a little bit longer, they would hit that success. But like you said, there's, there are also benefits. There, again, both sides are benefits. And I think, you know, some say, you know what, I was getting a paycheck every week or every other week. You know, I mean, I love that, but at least I know I was going to get paid. So they decide to go back to their lifestyle. But then they're back there for a while, and then they remember why they weren't happy there. So um, it makes you wonder, you know, maybe just wait, you know, just stay there later three, six months, they would have probably hit that success. A lot of it happens a lot of time. Like I said, they don't have that tenacity and that patience. Um, did you have any kind of mentors that helped you through this process, um, becoming a successful and being an entrepreneur? Yeah, and I still have them. Uh, my mentor is literally number one on my speed dial. And I constantly am reading books, listening to podcasts like yours, uh, watching YouTube videos, anything to try and keep a sharp edge. And that's one thing that it would kill me if I stopped because that's when the doubts creep in. You need that positive reinforcement all the time. And I was told by a public speaker once many moons ago that you're the sum total of the five people you talk to the most. So you got to make those five people count. And all of those people honestly should want your success more than you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I definitely love the statement. You know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's why it's be very careful who you surround yourself with. If there are people that are dragging you down that are negative, they're not going to spoil your dreams. You need a new group of close friends. No and, question. Uh, yeah, you need those that are going to support you and they're going to help you in that journey. And you mentioned you have the mentor. You still your your mentor right now. You see, you have it on your speed dial. So very important. It's a lot of, especially. It seems like entrepreneurs are one of the few people where they think they can make it on their own. But if you look on, on any other industry, even sports, example, everyone's got trainers, coaches, guys. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and if you yep. and, and even entrepreneurs, every super successful entrepreneur, there's six, seven, eight figures. They all say, "My mentor helped me so much. I could not have done it without my mentor." So, um, and yeah, you could figure it out on your own, but it's going to take you an extra five, ten, fifteen years. You know, make that investment, save yourself all that time, all that struggle, that frustration. 
do it in a much shorter period of time because they can help you make a lot fewer mistakes. And you mentioned you read books, you read, you know, listen to podcasts, YouTube videos, surround yourself with successful people. And all that's important because, like you said, um, there could be times where maybe business isn't going so well. You start doubting yourself, like you mentioned, and you need those people, those things to reinforce you so make you believe in yourself because it's so easy to fall prey to negativity. Oh, it really is. Yeah, so working on the mindset, the person who is so critical, and that's why surround yourself with those people is also critical because um, they're going to help you on that journey. So, so, so you've been doing this, Neil. You started about ten years ago. You've been on your own five or six years, and obviously, you've had a you have a lot of success. And um, uh, what are some of the other things would you say has helped you on your road to success? Obviously, you mentioned having a mentor, having that tenacity, surrounding yourself with the people who support you. Um, listening to podcasts and re you know YouTube videos, reading. Are there other things you do you do that do you think has been key to your success? Yeah, self talk is big. Uh, I ne I was never a believer in self talk. Honestly, I always thought it was one of those things motivational speakers talked about, and it just really had no relevance. But I would say uh, over the past ten years, my self talk has changed dramatically, and it's constant. It it's not just you know, five minutes of, of good self-talk in the morning. It's, I go to bed with a certain self-talk. I wake up with a certain self-talk. To remind myself of what I want, I wrote a check from my business to me for the amount of revenue I want to make this year. And I have it posted right on my computer. So I'm always giving myself that input. And I think the biggest thing, Victor, I started doing in the way of self-talk is forgiving myself at the end of the day. I look in the mirror and I say, just, you made some good decisions. You made some tough ones. Just forgive yourself. You're good. And tomorrow will be another day. And mm. I would say that may be the largest, most impactful self-talk that I do on any given day is just understanding me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't, I don't think I had that for the first God knows many years in, in corporate America that I do now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like that at the end, you know, talking about forgiving yourself because a lot of people have trouble doing that. And then it's one of the reasons why they self-sabotage themselves as well as the negative self-talk. So I'm glad you mentioned that to yourself because um, the person we talk to the most is ourselves. And we're, we're you know, they say we're 50, 60,000 thoughts throughout the day. And a lot of it's some uh, unconscious and we don't realize how much of that is very negative. So you have to really work on that day in and day out and catch yourself because you're not realizing sometimes you're saying self-deprecating stuff it's like it's bringing you down that's it telling you subconscious i'm not good enough i can't do this i can't succeed um one of my favorite books is by this guy nick called dr shad Helmsted. it's called what to say when you talk to yourself and oh i've read it that's a very good book yeah, it's an it's an amazing book. Uh, that that changed my self talk after I read it. And you know, as you could tell, as you yourself read it, it's uh it's an incredible book. And I think we, we can both recommend that book to anyone who Absolutely. wants to work on their self talk. It's an incredible book. Um, yeah, definitely. All right, so now you know, yeah, you, you've been doing all this. So you're doing a lot of great things. So um, so one of the things you um. Uh, you do is you are a chief learning off a fractional chief learning officer. So can you tell us a little more about what that involves? Sure. The the fractional movement has really built up steam in the past, I'd say six months to a year. Uh, so 
the idea behind a fractional executive is that it kind of splits into three pieces. You're you're a fractional part of the C-level uh, suite of the company. So you go in and take a C-suite position. And then the second part is you're there for a fractional part of the time. So you're not a full-time employee. You give them the services they need in the time period that they need it. And then the last part of that is that it is a fraction of the price they normally pay. Being a chief learning officer and being in training and development for 30 years, I can tell you that the position is fractional by nature. Training is always the last to get budget and the first to get cut. So I'm used to playing a fractional role with companies. And honestly, Victor, I don't know why you would need me full-time. Mm -hmm. I can go in there, I can do world-class work in a short period of time. So why pay me for all that time? Mm -hmm. So the fractional chief learning officer role has been great. Gives companies what they need for a something their budget won't even notice. And uh, they're getting the return on the investment they're looking for. Okay, so it sounds like they're getting a good return. They're getting a lot of value from you. Plus, they're not paying as much because you're only it's only a fraction of the of the part. Is that also where the two tens come in, or is that something slightly different? No, the two ten rule is a basis for communication that I teach all the oh. companies and salespeople that I work with. It oh. it emphasizes the cadence and rhythm of a conversation versus the content. I truly think, Victor, in this day and age, we get so caught up in the AI and the texting and the emails, which is great. I have nothing against any of them, but I think we're losing the human touch. So part of what I do for companies that helps them 3X their sales and helps them get an extra one and a half stars in their customer service teams is I teach them how to build a relationship quickly and keep from making every transaction uh, just a one-timer. So many companies, when they get to the time where there's a contract renewal, they will start to wonder, am I going to get this contract renewal? And there's steps you can take to make sure that the contract renewal uh, is not a certainty, but it's a pretty high chance. Got it. No, and, and you're right. I think, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of good stuff with AI, but like you said, there's a, and, and there's a lot of good stuff with technology, um, but it doesn't solve all our problems. And I, you know, a long time ago, I learned technology is an enhancer, but not the answer. Like you said, there's the danger of losing the human touch. And no matter what in business, you got to deal with people. I think sometimes people forget that. All they want to do is they want to message on Facebook or LinkedIn or any of the other social media platforms. And there's more to it. You, you got to talk to people in person, on the phone, on a Zoom call, on Skype. You still need to, and they, because they, they, especially the, the bigger the contract, the more they want to see who you are. Because they, um, they know I'm going to give $50,000, $100,000 to someone I don't know. They need, so the human search is very important. So so I, I like you talked about that and um, and, and and building this relationship and quickly and not just the one-time uh, you know, one thing, but um, if you could build it, it's much more likely, I guess, you'll get the contract renewal. So you know, you know, showing them that you appreciate them, take care of them, giving them the good service, all that's going to factor into it. So definitely enjoy doing that. So the next thing I want to ask you about is, can you tell me exactly what is an adaptive conversational blueprint? I guess it relates to what you were saying and how is it different? Yeah, so when we have a conversation with people, there's a couple of things to consider. 
The first is everybody's looking for value from a conversation. It may not be a sales conversation. It may be a conversation with your spouse or your civic other or a parent or a child, but you're always looking for value. You're also dealing with perceptions, your perception of them, their perception of you. And you're also dealing with, Victor, localization of message. So you're in New York City. You wouldn't talk to somebody in Savannah, Georgia, the same way you'd talk to somebody in L.A. or somebody down the hall from you. So the conversational blueprint allows you to look at certain parts of a conversation and learn how to build them so that you can relate to people much better. The benefit of it is that if I hear a sales conversation between a rep and a person, by knowing the blueprint, I can almost pinpoint exactly where the conversation went astray, where they lost or gained the sale, and where they made the largest impression. So the blueprint is just that. It, it's things to incorporate in a conversation to make the largest impact. Okay, and that makes a lot of sense. And they're like, you know, when you talk about local localization, the message makes sense. And I talked to someone to George is going to be different from talk, from the way I'm going to talk to someone in LA, for example. Um, so, and that brings me to something else I want to ask you because you you know you talk about the fact that maybe one or two words can make a big difference in a conversation, and I agree with you on that. Uh, could you give us like you know a couple examples? Yeah. So when you think about this, you think about the, the human brain is conditioned to respond in certain ways to certain verbal cues. And the one I always use as an example is the word because. There was a social psychology study done years ago where they had interns try to butt in line at a copier in a New York City library. And what they found was that if they said, I'd like to jump in line to make copies because... I have a child in the car because I'm running late, because uh, I have to get to my apartment and, and let somebody in. They found that people were more likely to let them in line. But that's not the fascinating part. That's pretty common sense. The fascinating part is they took the word because and after it, they just repeated what they needed. So the intern jumped in line and said, I need to jump ahead of you because I need to make copies. Right? pretty kind of nonsensical if you think about it. And yet the compliance rate was almost as high as when they gave a valid reason. So the conclusion is we are a very cause and effect as a human. We want to know why something happens and why I should let you in line and why you deserve to be in line. And from the time we're kids, we get that. We always ask our parents, why, 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 why? We're geared for cause and effect. So if you're selling your business, if you're trying to convince a, a significant other to go out to dinner, if you're trying to tell your parents why something should be done, the word because is a game changer and it can increase compliance dramatically. And yet we use it all the time. We never give it a second thought. Yeah. So it's it's just fascinating, the wordplay. And you can read about this uh, from social psychologists who talk about different words that make an impact all the time. Because it's just usually the one that sticks out the most. Yeah, and it's it's incredible how we're like you said we're so cause and effect like, and so certain words will trigger us 
And you may give that example. The person is because they need to do this, or I need to, or even just because I need to make copies. And still, most of the time, they're going to let them pass. So it's one of those trigger words which is very powerful. A lot of people, and and yeah, and people can definitely do their research and find other words that people are going to react to certain ways using certain words. People are just going to like, okay, go ahead. And it's it's, it's incredible. And it just doesn't understand human nature because, I mean, it's incredible how, uh, in many ways, we're just conditioned to act certain ways. And if you if you if you if you are aware that it's going to help you so much dealing with people, which I'm sure is one of the things you teach your clients. Uh, next thing I want to ask you is, so so now, um, and this is something people struggle with cold calls. So, uh, the you know using the language, how does one get away from simply "Hi, how are you"? Well, and that's a great question, Victor, because if you think about it, I'll tell you a quick story. My wife and I were out Christmas shopping and a gentleman walked by me and our eyes met and I nodded to him and I said, hey, and he said, fine, thanks. How are you? There was no question asked. It was just a gut condition response. And it just goes to show you that how are you is a, a terrible signal to send somebody when they get on the phone because it's non-conversation. It doesn't really get you any further. And they know you don't care about the answer. And you know you don't care about the answer. So the question, Victor, becomes, how do you get by that? And one of the great ways to get by it is to do your research before you do a call with somebody. Get on the phone with them. And when they pick up and say hello, say, God, I am so glad you picked up the phone. I was really looking forward to talking to you. And go into your talk. But set the tone differently. Eliminate the hi, how are you? Eliminate that condition response. Because, Victor, the conditioning of a phone call starts before anybody picks it up. When the person answering the phone hears that phone ring, the conditioning has started and you're already behind the eight ball. So it's your job to break that conditioning and get them open and receptive to what you have to say next. And what better way to do that? than to say you were looking forward to talk to them, you had researched their company, you were excited because they picked up the phone. It, it Breaking conditioning is a game changer. No, I like that breaking condition because it's, it, it tells you it's not what they expect. They, they usually expect to say, hey, hey, how are you? Which, which is the standard uh, question people ask. And, and, and yeah, most people, time people are like, you're not really that concerned. But yeah, but if you could change it and say, hey, I'm glad you picked up the phone. I was really looking forward to talking to you. When someone says to me, I'm like, wow, that that you know, that's not what I was expecting. So it definitely changes the way uh, I'm going to react to you. Now, one other question I want to ask you, you know, before you get on a call with someone, you know, some people talk. Would you say like, uh, is it a good idea to visualize the conversation go well? Because some people do that, so it may, it re it relaxes them, makes them, it feels like they're gonna, they feel like they're gonna do better with the call. Do you think vis visualizing the call going well beforehand helps? I certainly don't think it would hurt. You know, mm -hmm. you you look at Jack Nicholas, the pro golfer, you mm -hmm. know, he's a legend. And he always used to say he would play a hole in his mind before he played the hole on the turf. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot to be said for visualization. And Victor, to add on to that, part of visualizing a victory is knowing your opponent before you step in there. Mm -hmm. So researching the people that you want to talk to is a, a huge game changer because then it allows you to visualize better. But there's nothing worse than when somebody calls and just wings it, because you can both tell that that's what's happening. Yeah. 
No, you're right. Definitely do your research because there, you know, if someone calls me up and they know all these things about me, I, you know, I'm impressed. I'm like, this person took the time to get to know about me, and he's obviously interested in what I have to say and what I do. So, definitely, anyone you call up and, and they they see you, you've researched them, you've learned a lot of information about them. I think they'll be impressed. No guarantee they're gonna like buy from you or, Of course or work not. with you, but. Uh, you, you have your your odds definitely are increased in your fear by the fact that they realize you took the time to do some research on them. Now, as we're getting sort of the end of the interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to uh, share with our audience? I would say improve the communication skills that you have. No matter who we are, no matter how much we work on it, we always need to get better. I'm I'm always asked by somebody, you do this all the time. Are you any good at communication? Are you as good as the advice you give? Probably not. I make all the same mistakes. And the difference is I try to learn from them. And I try to learn different ways to get around my faults when it comes to communicating. So my parting shot with everyone would be Know that every second you're in front of somebody, you're making an impression and every word you use is making an impression. So do your best to continue to try to improve that. Yeah, definitely. You always make an impression every second, every time you talk and and definitely always continue working on improving yourself, improving your skills. No matter how good you are, you can always be better and it's only going to help you the more you improve on it. And, and like you said, you're going to make mistakes, just learn from it. It's okay to make mistakes, just learn from it. So, Yep. Jake, I want, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great tips, a lot of great advice. And I know the people listening definitely learned a lot from uh, all the things you had to share. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Two ways to reach out to me are on LinkedIn. You can find me as Jake Stahl on LinkedIn, or you can reach me on my website, which is jakestahlconsulting.com. Awesome. Thanks again, Jake. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, Victor. You too. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.